Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. Interior designers have superpowers that we tap into on construction sites. It's as simple as that. And in episode 137, a few weeks ago, I detailed the one that we use when we are crafting successful contracts and budgets. And really, we are badass at that. We understand the costs of products. We understand the level of products our clients want. And frankly, we are the ones that should be overseeing the budgets for these construction projects. We understand where the holes are, and we can fill them with real numbers and not estimates. But I don't want you to think that that's our only superpower because that is far from it. And frankly, I was reminded of one that maybe gets overlooked a little too often on a vacation we just came back from. So today, I want to talk about another superpower you need to be tapping into and probably already are without realizing it. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And by the way, happy September and happy fall. And while fall is truly my favorite season, just a smidge above spring, I am a little sad that summer is over, which if you know me at all, you know that that's a pretty unusual statement for me. I am not a fan of hot and humid weather and typically am thrilled to say goodbye to summer and get back to schedules and routines and the cooler, crisp weather that the fall provides. But this summer was different. I luckily was able to finish two large projects that had just lingered on and on thanks to COVID and was able to take more time off with my family. And we squeezed in a little more travel than we normally do. And for me, travel just re-energizes my spirit and my creative juices. And so I, I recommend traveling as often as possible. And by the way, it doesn't have to be exotic traveling. Some weekends we just drove 
maybe a little over an hour to the beach and exposed myself to new textures and color patterns and smells and sights and architecture. And it really does inspire me to bring those elements and apply them to future projects. But this last trip we went on was unusual in that we were spending basically a different night in a different hotel for over a week. We flew into Los Angeles, we drove up the coast on Route 1, and we flew out of San Francisco. And while the sights and the insane sunsets over the water were breathtaking, what I always find myself doing is comparing architecture, layouts, and decor along the way. And this was unusual because we were truly in a different hotel every night. And for the most part, I think with the exception of maybe one night, we tried to stay in local hotels. So not big chains. We did spend one night in a Hyatt because we frankly couldn't find a decent place elsewhere in this small town. But while I was dissecting the layouts, the positives and the negatives, and of course sharing this with my family and getting, you know, the inevitable eye rolls from them, is it reminded me of a superpower that interior designers bring to construction projects. And this is not something that is created over time. If you are doing decorating projects, if you are already in the business, and frankly, even if you're just new to the business, the reason you are drawn to this business is because we understand how people live in homes. It's as simple as that. And don't overlook it. And I think that's the problem is people take that for granted and think, well, everybody thinks this way. The reality is, and the facts are, that's not true. And frankly, I am reminded of that when I point things out to my family because they look at things and they go, oh, yeah, huh, never thought about that. Why would they? Because that is not one of their superpowers but it is one of ours. And I want you to pay attention to it and I want you to hone it. And more importantly, I want you to market it, not only to your clients, but to your industry partners who you want to be working with. So what do I mean by this superpower, right? So here's an example. We stayed in all of these hotels and most of them had glass shower doors. And this may seem trivial because of course, when you pull a door open, you don't want it to bang into something, right? Makes sense. Of course, you don't want to bang into the vanity nearby, or you don't want to bang into the wall if it extends too far. But in this one situation, it was downright comical. The bathroom was so over engineered, the door swing missed the corner of the vanity by a fraction of an inch. And I I really do mean a fraction of an inch to the point where when I first walked in, I thought, oh my God, it's going to hit the vanity. In fact, it did not. But here's the reality. A human has to use that door. And doubling down on the proximity of the door to the vanity was the fact that it only swung into the bathroom, did not swing into the stall. Okay. And again, my kids were like, what's the big deal? So what, mom? I said, okay, go take your shower. And they did. And I'm yelling from the outside. I said, okay, now get out of the shower and not get water on the floor. They go, wait, I can't do that. I have to open it far enough so that I can get out. Now, one of my children, I won't tell you which one, was smart enough to put the towel on the vanity, but they still had to swing that door far enough out in order to get it and get the towel in. Meanwhile, the door is dripping water the entire way. Now, my husband, who I will throw under the bus, he just opened the damn door, stepped out onto the bath mat, and the entire room was flooded. And he's like, well, this is stupid. And I said, That's my point. 
So why am I telling you this crazy story about my family's adventures in the shower? It's to remind us that these are our superpowers. And unfortunately, we are usually the ones with this superpower on a project. I love architects. I I really do. And frankly, without architects, we'd be unemployed, right? If they weren't building homes, they wouldn't need us to decorate them and or manage the construction of them. So I don't mean to bash anyone. But the reality is architects have skills that I don't have, and I have skills and interior designers have skills that they don't have. And this is where a good marriage happens and why you need to be marketing this superpower to architects. Because here's what I know happened on that bathroom project. They were given a program, right? In the commercial world, it's called a program. I need X number of rooms. I need X number of bathrooms. I need X number of hallways, kitchenettes, what have you. For instance, that was a hotel. Then they say, I want to build a X number of floors and it needs to be total square footage of Y. Okay. I have worked in an architecture firm. I have seen these programs come in and I've seen architects attack them and they get it. They need to have a certain size bed. In this case, it was two queen beds. Got it. They need to have some form of bedside table. In this case, they opted for one in the center. Why you ask? Well, it saves room, right? You can make the overall hotel room smaller. Okay, now we need a bathroom. Okay, we need a shower stall that's X number of square feet to meet code and blah, 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 on and on and on. So what happens next? They need a door into the shower. So they draw a door with the swing. You you can picture this architect's drawing, right? It shows the swing, the little semicircle that shows that it swings out. It's hinged on the right, blah, blah, blah. But guess what? They see that it misses the vanity and they say, job done. And in fact, it is. They have created a shower with an operable door that doesn't hit anything. But is the job really done if it's not functioning well? So you say, well, no big deal, Renee. You put your towel on the vanity. You get a little drip on the floor. In a hotel, that can be seriously problematic because I didn't mop up after my husband got out of the shower. He kind of scooched the bath mat around and maybe got some of it. But play that out over years and years of constant use. I can tell you what will go wrong. There will eventually be leaks or mildew or mold and on and on. That is completely and utterly avoidable. Swing the door into the shower. You didn't have to change anything about this bathroom, except you've contained the water within the shower stall itself. Amazing. Just change the swing of the door and it would have been resolved. So take that lesson and apply it to residential use. So let's just say an architect had designed a bathroom like this for a residence. Are you going to tell your client who is spending hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars that they need to put their towel on the vanity every time they get into the shower, custom shower, by the way, in order to avoid drips? Well, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? And and sort of embarrassing, frankly, because it is avoidable. But that's my point, is we understand how people use their homes. Now, again, I think I've hammered this shower situation to death, but it's to make the point. And, And it's by no means the only issue I have come across. One of the problems I have, and I'm sure some of you have experienced this, is I'm not always brought on the projects until they start. That means drawings have been completed, permits have 
oftentimes been pulled and clients have been looking at drawings for months to maybe a year or more. But these drawings started again with a program. I want to build a 5,000 square foot home. I wanted to include four bedrooms, four and a half baths, a kitchen, a mudroom, blah, blah, on and on and on, specialty rooms, this, that, and the other. The architect looked at it like a puzzle. They lay it all out. They apply the codes that they need to legally build it and safely build it, by the way. And more often than not, I see them focusing their attention on the public spaces and not the private spaces. And what do I mean by public versus private? So public space, if you're unaware in a residential home, is anywhere that the public goes. So your kitchen, your living room, your dining room, powder room, maybe mud room, family room, things like that would be considered public spaces. Your private spaces are just that. It's private to the family that lives in it. So bedrooms, bathrooms, closets, maybe an office, things like that. But they need to be focusing not just on kind of that puzzle and the pieces and where they lay, but how the people will actually be using the rooms that they're creating inside this puzzle. And I find that a lot of architects miss the mark. Maybe not dramatically, maybe in a subtle way, but frankly, if a client can afford an architect and an interior designer to manage their project, then they are looking for a custom level that they couldn't do on their own. It's as simple as that. And so that's our job. That's our charge to come into a project and give them that customization that they're seeking. They don't even know how to ask for it because they assume, I did my research. This architect is the best of the best. And therefore, he's going to give me that custom level that I've been seeking. And in many ways, they will get that. But I, in my experience, architects do slip up when it comes to the functionality of their spaces and how people flow through rooms. So for instance, I just finished a a very large project, all custom, new build, and was brought on after the drawings were complete, permits were pulled, and literally shovels were in the ground. No foundations, but shovels were in the ground. So what's my first step at that point is to pour over the drawings get to know that drawing intimately, walk through those spaces, visualize it in volumes, understand everything I'm about to walk into. And I saw this massive home, beautifully laid out. And then I looked at the primary closet and bathroom. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay. So they do want a tub. Okay. They want a walk-in shower. You know, it was a freestanding tub with a freestanding wall and the shower was behind it. No doors. Uh, great. Okay. So I, you know, instantly I'm thinking, okay, dual shower heads, we're going to have to slope it in. Okay. Tile, blah, blah. You know, that's where your mind immediately goes. So I felt I had a really good handle on this project. I understood the rooms. I could envision them. There were plenty of elevations. I could really see it in 3D. And so I met with the clients and we started going through things. I started showing them, you know, various elements. Okay. In the bathroom, would would you like two shower heads? This is shown. This is not shown. There's some windows. Okay. How are we going to do that? And she said, now, where is my husband's closet? And I pause because there's two closets shown on this drawing, one larger on the left of this small hallway to the bathroom and a smaller one, but yet sizable enough on the right. And I said, well, I'm, I'm assuming that he will take the smaller of the two closets. And she looked at him 
paused, looked back at me, and she goes, those aren't both mine? I said, you know, frankly, I'm new um, to this team. And is there another space that you were going to allocate to your husband's closet? I mean, mind you, theirs was a first floor bedroom. And so I was thinking to myself, is he going upstairs to use the closet? But again, I didn't know the client that well. And who knows? It's not my business. And she said, well, no. And I said, well, okay, well, this is what is being built. And she goes, oh my God, this is completely too small for me. I thought, okay, why am I the one pointing this out? You've had these drawings. Honestly, I think it was over a year. And she didn't understand what she was looking at. And she is not alone, nor my first client to have this issue. So then we started dissecting the space and literally measuring out her existing closet and measuring out the space that they had allocated. And she said, well, I need both. And I said, okay, so where are we going to put your husband's clothes? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, let's look at the bathroom. And the same thing came up. She goes, oh my God, this is tiny. It's almost the same size as the bathroom I have now. Why would they draw something so small, Renee? That's what I'm always asked. Why would they draw something so small? Question mark. Or why would they only do it this way? Question mark. And the answer is, I don't know. I wasn't a part of those conversations. So Side note, if you can become a part of those conversations in the early stages, do so. Tell your client why you need to be involved and then speak up when you see something that may or may not be a successful solution. Now, I looked at these closets. I have clients who have similar size closets and it works beautifully for them. So I'm not faulting the architect because they were sizable, but for this client, they weren't sizable enough. And that's really all that matters. It's their project. They're paying the bills and this is their dream home. So fast forward several weeks of awkward back and forth and the architect was trying to squeeze things in and tweak things and literally shoehorn in a larger space for them. And we ended up turning the entire space, the primary bathroom and both closets into one enormous walk-in closet for them to share. I kid you not, the entire space. So I'm sure you're wondering like, well, then Renee, where the hell is the primary bathroom? Yeah, it went onto what was intended to be a screen porch off of the bedroom. That became the master bath. So there was a solution. The overall footprint of the project didn't change, but it was an expensive fix that frankly, they're thrilled with in the end. And luckily had the budget to absorb that whoops, but it would not have happened until long after it was studded up and starting to be drywalled probably before this client would have realized how small the spaces were. And she's frankly thanked me multiple times and I've told her, don't need to thank me. That's what I'm here for over and over again. And that was one that I honestly thought was good enough until I explained it to the client. So you can never assume that your client understands drawings, even if they've had them for months or years. You can't assume that it has been explained to them in their language so that they can truly approve it and appreciate it before it is built. So while this did cost a lot more money, it costs a fraction of the amount it would have if we had had to stop midstream, mid build, and reevaluate and redesign. 
And by the way, that is a big one, right? I don't often come across that big of a whoops on a project, but what I do see time and time again are small details that add up to an annoyance that is inexcusable on the custom level that we work on. Because again, if they can afford an architect and interior designer on a project to bring their dreams to life, they're expecting a custom level design. And I don't blame them. That is something that I believe is our responsibility to deliver. And that, again, is where our understanding of how people use spaces, how we decorate spaces in the end, and what needs to be done to support it successfully. So what do I mean by that? It basically comes down to codes and architects not thinking things through as far as the decorating side. So some examples. Have you ever put in beautiful drapery in a room only to have the panel end on a supply vent in the floor, right? You get two responses. Typically, the husband says, oh, my God, you're blocking off my air or my heat, and it's going to be hot and or cold. The other problem is the panel itself may billow when the air is blowing through it. Did you know that this is avoidable? Yes, of course it's avoidable. The vent can be moved to the other bay or down three bays or whatever the case may be in the floor joists and have the air come unimpeded and your curtain panel sits where it wants to sit. And you may be saying, well, then why are they doing it this way, Renee? There must be a reason. No, there is no reason other than it doesn't occur to the architect when they're looking at a drawing that that particular window may in fact end up with curtain panels. So do you know what I tell my architects? Assume every window in a project will end up with curtain panels. doesn't mean they will, but assume they will, and then you're covered. And if it's a new build, it doesn't matter if that vent is in that bay or didn't bay to the left to the right. It is all doable when it's just a drawing. Now, you may not be shown those drawings. That is the problem. You want to request seeing the HVAC plans. And if you aren't familiar with them, you need to become familiar with them because they are playing a role in your design and the final decoration of those rooms. The other plans that play a role is the electrical plan. Now, there's code as far as where you need to have an outlet in each room, and it's done by feet, 12 feet on center. You need an outlet. That's for safety, vacuuming, etc. So how many times have you decorated a room and you've put a bed on the logical bed wall only to find that there is one outlet somewhere behind the bed? right? It's an oversight. That's all it is. It's just an oversight. That's where your superpower comes in. You know instinctively where the bed's going to go. I've actually had architects say, how do you know the bed's going to go on that wall, Renee? And I'd say, oh, well, because of this and that and the other. They go, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But it didn't occur to them. And these are not new contractors. These are not new architects. They just don't think it through. Now, the fun one is when you see a floor plan that an architect has drawn up and it shows a bed, right? They often will show that. So they have decided or discerned which wall will be the bed wall, but it doesn't show the electric on that plan. You flip to the electrical plan and lo and behold, there's one outlet behind the bed. Those are my favorite. Now, this is an easy one, and I do think architects have come up a notch and have figured out that, gee, flanking the bed with two outlets is the wiser decision because, duh, we need lighting. We have 
power cords to plug in. We have alarm clocks if you're old school like me. It, you know, it's just downright obvious. Don't assume the obvious in these drawings. The other is a switching plan. I am a massive geek when it comes to switching plans because there's nothing that drives me more crazy than needing to cross through a dark room to turn on a light or cross through a lit room to turn off a light and then cross back out because I wanted to go out the other way. And it is as simple as putting a three-way switch in. And by the way, it's next to nothing in cost to do it before it's created. So what I do with switching plans, I actually walk an entire site before electrical rough-in with my clients. And I say, you've just driven in the driveway. Where are you going to park? They look at me and they, trust me, they tease me all the time about this. And I say, no, no, this is an invaluable exercise. And they go, oh, well, I'm going to park in the garage. And the wife will say, oh, actually, I was going to park in the circle by the front door. Great. So the husband will go and do a walkthrough and show me, obviously the wife is along, show me where he will come in and how he would want to turn lights on to safely travel through his own home. And, you know, inevitably there's always some you know teasing and, oh, you can't make it that far without a light switch. And But why would he have to? It's his home. It is their custom home and it is our job to make it work for them. Not for me, not for you, not for the contractor, but for them. I don't think I've ever had a switching plan delivered to me from an architect that stayed as it was drawn. Yeah, I don't think ever in 30 years. I've had some come pretty close. I really have. Because again, not all architects miss these things. But I have always had a client customize it to them, to that level, because we've taken this step. And I have flexed that muscle in my superpower and brought it to their attention. And I could go on and on with examples. Uh, Finding Windows and closets because it balances on the outside. Well, how does it impact the inside? Can that closet be altered in any way to either make it more useful or get rid of it and place it somewhere else? I have come across a random step because of an elevation change that the client, she looked at me, she was the sweetest thing on earth. And she said, I always wondered what that line was. Okay, well, why didn't you ask? Right? So, These are things I work with incredibly intelligent, well-educated professionals, and it's as if they're afraid to ask an architect about something on a drawing, whether it's fear of the unknown, whether they feel subservient in some way because, quote, they're not the expert in the room. By creating an environment where any question is a good one, and frankly, it's like kindergarten. The worst question is the one not asked. And I will say that to a client. It gives them the safe space to say, I don't understand. And if they don't understand, you run a very high risk of them not liking it in the end. And how many clients have you heard from that say, well, we did this addition, but I never really liked fill in the blank. Chances are they didn't understand what they were signing off on. And or they did understand, they just didn't realize that there was a customization level that they could get to with the help of a professional like you with these superpowers. So if you're looking at plans this week, these are the things I want you to look at. I want you to look at where the ventilation is, not just the supplies, but the returns. I did a very formal living room way back when from a very high level architect And as you entered the living room, there was only one way to enter it. 
the return vent was straight ahead of you, not behind you, above your head as you walked in so that you only saw it from the inside, but as you approached. So when she walked down the hall, pretty much all day long, she could look at a return vent. When I made the subtle suggestion that it would be better placed, still in the same room, still functioning at the same high level, they all looked at me and they go, huh, yeah, we could do that. Because of course, you'll rarely get a, oh, that's a good idea. But you will get them to think, to scratch their heads. And my hope is the next time they're designing something like that, they'll think twice about where they put the return vents. So it's not just the supply vents. And by the way, take a look at those. Me, I usually recommend putting them directly below a window because we're never going to put curtains below a window, right? It's going to be to the left or the right. Yes, when the curtains are drawn, if they are operable, they may cover it, but they won't be as thick of a stack. And I find that the billowing is minimal. And if it's a big concern, you can always do stationary panels with an operable shade to cut the light if it's in a bedroom, for instance. But these are things that are super easy to fix when they are caught early and when you know what you're looking for. So I want you to look at window placements. I want you to look at the electrical plans and those stupid outlets that are never in the right place, given what we know the client will want. Floor outlets, for instance, they'll put them like in the middle of the room and they'll say, well, there's a floor outlet in the family room. Yes. And chances are that family room is going to get a rug and chances are I'm not going to have a floor lamp or a table lamp in the center of the room. Probably going to be a coffee table. I mean, if I had to go out on a limb, right? They just don't think it through. They know that high-level design includes floor outlets, so they put one in. You, on the other hand, can measure it out. Say, I'm going to put an 87-inch sofa in here, so I'm going to have an end table, maybe 24 inches. So that means I need a floor outlet at this point off of these two walls. Mark it on the drawing for them. It makes them look good, especially if you find these issues before you point them out to a client. And again, that just depends on when you are brought into a project. And it can get even more granular if you have a client that's a lefty. I've put dishwashers on the left side of the sink because that's their natural pull position. These are the things, even if the client doesn't opt for it, by asking them the question shows your level of expertise, shows them that they are truly in great hands and they will get exactly what they're paying for. And that is all we want. So now I have not meant to bash architects because frankly, they are an industry partner, but this is a marketing tool you can use with them. Of course, you have to be a little more subtle about it, but highlighting your skills, how you can complement their designs with your interior knowledge is a win-win. Now, that does not mean all architects will see it that way. And we've discussed this before. They just don't always understand the value we bring, whether that is ego or ignorance. Doesn't matter. Move on to the next one. There are plenty of architects who do appreciate the value that interior designers bring. You just have to find them. And if you're working with contractors, frankly, they're thrilled because the onus and responsibility is off them. If you can come in and you can make these high level decisions effectively and expertly. So yes, sometimes I call it my curse because yeah, I can't walk into a bathroom and not start analyzing how it's functioning. It's just, it's a curse, but I have turned that curse into a superpower 
And I know you guys are already doing it as well. And I bet some of you have chuckled along the way with some of my stories because you've seen it. You may not have even have recognized the fact that you are one of the few on that project that see things the way we do. You need to take advantage of it. You need to hone that skill. And then you need to market it to your clients, to your industry partners, from architects to contractors. So I'm going to keep talking about our superpowers because I do believe we have a unique position in the construction world, in the design world, that we need to start leaning into and showing off in an obviously professional manner. So this will be an ongoing topic. And if you have any questions about today's episode, or if you want to point out a superpower you feel designers have, shoot me an email. Drop me a DM on social media. I love talking about this stuff. I hope that comes through that I'm kind of geek out on this stuff because it is what I love to do. And I want to see all designers excel in this niche market, in this niche service of our industry. And if any of you are feeling like your head's spinning right now, I get it. I totally get it. I've been doing this a long time. And and frankly, This is muscle memory for me and why I had to go on a trip to remind myself to talk about a superpower because I don't always realize that I am dissecting a room just as I'm using it for my own purposes. But the course I built, the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management, breaks all of this down. It walks you through electrical plans. And of course, there's switching plans where I talk over it and explain why I did what I did, how you should approach them, the questions you should be asking, elevations, millwork drawings, how to approach a floor plan when you're handed a stack of 10, 12, 15 pages. How do you absorb it in a way that you can explain it to a client while adding value along the way, implementing these superpowers. It really is a step-by-step guide and breaks down all of these complex issues into something that you can really understand in bite-sized lessons. And the great news is we are always adding to it. I am finishing up several a bunch of new lessons that have stemmed from questions and conversations I've had not only with the VIP members in the course that we meet twice a month on live calls, but from emails and questions and DMs that I get from all of you. So if you need any more information, you can go to my website, www.devignedesign.com and find all the information there. And if that still leaves you with questions, shoot me an email. I'm always happy to help. As always, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I look forward to our next time together. And in the meantime, start honing these superpowers. Thank you for listening. And I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies, what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. 
Head to my website, devinyedesign.com, for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.